Thanks for listening to the Cool Church Podcast. We're praying that wherever you are on this journey, that this message encourages you. And we wanted you to know that you were created out of love. And now, here's today's message. So, I got a lot to talk about today. (laughs) But I believe that what I have to say will be a blessing to each and every one of you. So please turn with me to Jonah 2, and we'll begin at verse 7. And I'm reading out of the New Living Translation version. It says, as my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord. And my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Those who worship false gods turn their backs on all God's mercies. But I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise, and I will fulfill all my vows. For my salvation comes from the Lord alone. Amen. For those that are taking notes, which you can also find in the Cool Church app, I have entitled this message, The End of Me. Let us pray. Dear Lord, our Father, we're ready to reach the end. Amen. I I felt that Tim Ross prayer right there. I don't know why. I just said that. I just felt right there that we just had to end it there. So, So when Pastor Terrence told me I was going to preach, I was like, okay, what am I going to talk about? He's like, you choose. What? <laughs> me choose me choose what? Like, what I'm going to talk about? Oh, my goodness, no. Mm-mm. No, sir. Like, we have sermon series for that reason. <laughs> like, sermon series are like little floaties, right? I, I could be in the deep end of sermon prep and be like, I know exactly what I'm going to talk about because he told me I'm going to talk about this, this, and this. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> but no, he's like, no, you got it. I was like, no, I don't. <laughs> And so I started praying. I'm like, Lord, you got to give me something. I don't know. What do, you want, what do you want me to tell these people? Like, what word do you want me to give them? And I remembered a book I read about a decade ago called The End of Me, which is hence the title. It's a book by Kyle Eidelman. It talks about the Beatitudes in Matthew. Shout out to my UBC people. We were in Matthew. They know. And so he breaks down the Beatitudes and talks about how we should live our lives according to that. It's a great read. I suggest each of you read it. But as I read the Beatitudes and I was trying to prep, I was like, this, the Beatitudes isn't it. It's not what the exact word that God wanted me to say. So I just kept praying. And I ended up in Jonah. And you might be wondering, like, why Jonah? Well, I'm going to give you the, the end before the before we even start. Some of us have received a specific word from God. It might be about where he wanted you to go. It might be be challenging you how you currently live. But he gave you something specific. And you thought you knew better. So you turned your own way. You did your own thing. And your world got rocked. And now God just wanted me to come say, Hey, pumpkin, how you doing? 
are you all right? It's time to reach the end of yourself and start doing life my way. So with that, I, just, I need to give a little backstory on Jonah, right? The book of Jonah is found in the Old Testament. It's a real quick read. It's about four chapters long. And it truly goes over what they call the compassionate nature of God. Because jo- Jonah is compiled with another 12 other books called the Minor Prophets. And those books are Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. These are the minor prophets. Not because these individuals are any less, it's just because their books were shorter. But they're real powerful. I think we should all take our time to read through it because you get to see a different part of God as you read through. So we find ourselves at Jonah 1 with God giving a word to Jonah. And Jonah 1, 1 through 2 says, the Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. So God has given a direct command to Jonah and Jonah wasn't with it. He was like, nah, I'm good. Like, because really the understanding is that Nineveh was a town of Assyrian people. And the Assyrian people had a history of whipping the Israelites left and right. They were the ops, bro. Right, right? They were the ops. Oh, for non-social media people, they were the, the opposition. <laughs> the opposition, right? And, and, so, and so Jonah was like, nah, I ain't with that. I mean, if it was me, I'd be like, Lord, I've seen what you did for Sodom and Gomorrah. If you did it before, you can do it again, right? I mean, you know, hell, you know, fire and brimstone might look nice in the night sky. I don't know. I'd be wondering. I'm like, Lord, I ain't trying to go tell them nothing. Just do what you did before. But God, but God wasn't about that because, remember, Jonah's about God's compassionate nature, right? So, through the rest of the first chapter, I'm going to give you a quick synopsis of it. Jonah tries to rush off to Tarshish because he has some people there. And he hops on a boat in Joppa. He hops on a boat, and God sends a storm. The sailors on the boat get scared. They're like, what's going on? They had been taking this route before. This has never happened before. They are scared because they know this storm is different. And so they cast lots. They're like, who is the problem? Jonah raises his hand and says, it's me, y'all. I'm sorry. I'm a Hebrew. God, I'm running from God, right? They're like, you running from who? And mind you, they knew of God, but they didn't know God. But in that moment, they saw God. <laughs> That's a whole different story for a different day. But nonetheless, Jonah raised his hand and said, it's me. I'm the problem. You're going to have to throw me overboard. They're like, bro, we can't throw you overboard. We ain't killing nobody today. But Jonah said, no, I've been running. You got to throw me overboard. And so they threw him overboard. And then as Jonah was in the water, he was swallowed by a large fish. And the idea of this large fish is what scholars kind of go back and forth if, if Jonah was actually a real person or not, right? because the book of Jonah is so figurative and literal. Like there's so much imagination inside that book. 
But there's also been really cool thing, cases in life where they have opened up wells and found a person inside alive. They have opened up wells and found dogs inside and alive. So God was like, hey, I'm just prove y'all everything I do and everything I say is real. Amen? So we find ourselves, so in this place of solitude and reflection, Jonah just begins to pray because he re- he's realized that I've kind of done wrong. I've turned away from God. I'm not living the way he wants me to. And Jonah takes on a repentant heart because he realizes the error of his own ways. And so our cited text is the end of the prayer. And I think there's about three things that we could get out of that prayer, three places we could go to really begin the journey to reach the end of ourselves. And so the first point is the end of my forgetfulness. Jonah 2.7 says, as my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord. And my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Jonah is in this well, in this dark, lonely place, and he is slipping away. It could feel kind of ominous what he means when he says that, but the actual Greek version of that slipping away is atoph. It means to fail, to feel feeble, to feel faint. So if we think about it again, Jonah is saying, while I feel faint, while I feel overwhelmed, I remembered the Lord. Who could acknowledge that you felt faint before? Who could acknowledge you felt a little bit feeble, life has been lifing, and you could feel overwhelmed with everything that's going on? I challenge you to remember the Lord. Remember him in your dark places. Remember him when life, you're like, Lord, I don't know what to go next. Remember him. Because we find in these moments of forgetfulness, he never forgot us. Because it says in his word in Hebrews 13 that, we would, that he would never leave us nor forsake us. And the reality is the only thing that God ever forgets is the sin of those with a repentant heart. Right, right? It says in Micah 7, 18 through 19, where is another God like you who pardons the guilt of the remnant over, overlooking the sins of his special people? You will not stay angry with your people forever because you delight in showing unfailing love. Once again, you will have compassion on us. You will trample our sins under your feet and throw them into the depths of the ocean. Who can stand and be a witness for God's unfailing love? Who can acknowledge that when you didn't even deserve it, when you had turned your own way, there he was still in the nick of time, right beside you like, I never left you, baby. I'm right here. I'm still on your side. Who can say that they understand that God's love is unfailing? Amen? Amen. And so we find that Jonah in this dark place, he's forgotten the Lord. But that's not the only place we can forget the Lord, is it? We can forget him in our higher places too. We reach some semblance of success, some high place the world thinks is important. And we forget to acknowledge God, forget to thank him that we even got there. And then we can find our lives just a moment flipped upside down. 
and in our high places, we can find that forgetting the Lord has its own consequences. But there's no, there's, there's no more better example for someone who's at the highest place and forgot the Lord than Elijah. Now, Elijah was a gangster for God, man. He walked up in King Ahab's castle and was like, King Ahab, hey, God said it's going to be a famine for three years. And he walked out that mug. He had the music playing, bomb, bomb, bomb. He was a, he was a gangster. But his highest place, he still forgot God. Right? And so we're going to find ourselves in 1 Kings 19, 1 through 3. It says, when Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message, message to Elijah. May the God strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness. Traveling all day, he sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who already died. Now, mind you, just before this, Elijah called fire down from heaven. Like, he prayed a quick prayer. Fire came down. The people realized that God was God. They had accepted him again. They killed the 400 prophets of Baal. He ran faster than a chariot. And the rain came back. All this just happened. But yet in a moment, he forgot God. And then he escalated it. He was like, I want to die. What? Like, bruh, did you just forget what he did just a moment ago? But you know, some of us like that too. You have a history. You got the receipts of God's goodness in your life. You can say, oh, I remember when he healed my grandma. I remember when he, my friend got that job that she's been praying for. Yet when a new thing comes in your life, there you go and say, oh God, what happened? I don't know what's happening in my life. You just forgot God. In that moment, you forgot him. If he could do it before, he could do it again. We have a forgetfulness problem. But I got to think, in 1 Kings, it kind of tells us how to get past our forgetfulness problem. Oh, I'm here. So 1 Kings 19, 5 through 7. It says, then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread and baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So Elijah had this breakdown. And I love the fact that the next thing that happened was he got fed. (laughs) He got some food, right? Because when we get hungry, we get kind of cranky, right? We get kind of beside ourselves. We even can become a little bit forgetful when we get hungry, right? It's like that Snickers commercial. 
When it says, you're not like you, hey, 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 bro, you're not being yourself, grab a snicker. <laughs> right? Like, the, the principle that we should see here is that you gotta eat. But when we are hungry, we have to eat. So, how's it in our spiritual lives that we don't understand that when we're hungry, we gotta eat? And you don't need to grab, you don't need to grab normal food, you, you need to grab your Bible. You, you need to take a moment. And I'm not saying you don't need to take a long moment. Sometimes you just need to snack. You just need to open that thing in Proverbs and be like, for wisdom is more precious than rubies and nothing you desire can compare with her. And, 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 you, and as you eat your snack, sometimes you just need to keep going and start getting a full meal. You just need to start going through the word piece by piece, moment by moment, and get fed again so that you can remember the Lord. And I, I think, you know, some of us just have forgotten the flavor of God's goodness. It says that we should taste and see that the Lord is good. Sorry, y'all, my iPad's acting up but the enemy thinks he's had a chance to stop what's happening right now. And that's just not what's going to happen. The reality is that God's grace is the seasoning on your life. It's what gives it flavor. Because a lot of times we find ourselves going up and life don't taste that good. We sign and ourselves down and we know life don't taste that good there. But God's grace is what adds that extra, that extra little chef's kiss to what happens in our life. And we should feel completely blessed that he loved us so much to grace us so much. Amen? Amen. You know, I was thinking about how we could overcome our forgetfulness. And I think I have a solution to it. We should start passing down verses like grandma and them passed down recipes. We just start pulling out note cards and being like, you know what, baby? When, when I got down, I read Psalms 136. It said, oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Oh, when life was confusing, child, I read Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. But in my hardest times, baby, I pulled out Romans 8, 38, 39, where it says, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We should start passing these down to each and every generation that follows after us. Because the reality is, what are the foundational verses for your life? And are you teaching those to your children? Are you teaching those to your nieces and nephews? Because honestly, I refuse to be like that Joshua generation. Is social media the only thing we're saying that's important to our kids? Is our hustle mentality the only thing that we're trying to pass down to our children? Because social media is cool, technology is cool, accolades are cool, but that has so much less to do with God and so much more about us. 
So we have to get past ourselves and understand that like that Joshua generation who didn't pass down anything about God to their next generation. If we do the same thing, there won't be a whole bunch of God for them to actually remember. So we have to get past ourselves, our desires, our things, and make room for him in our minds again. And as we consider him and spend time with him, we can live lives pleasing to him. Amen? Amen. So I got to press on. But we're going to read through the second point. The end of my idol worship. Jonah 2.8 says, those who worship false gods turn their, turns their back on all God's mercies. Hmm. I, I like comparing different versions of the Bible, different translations, because some of them just have a different spin on them, right? So I'm going to read the English Standard Version. It said, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Hmm. So I like to go a little deeper, right? So we're going to break down the words and their definitions. So the word regard stands for consider or think of someone or something in a specified way. Vain, unsuccessful or no value. Idle, an object of extreme devotion. Representation or symbol of an object of worship. Forsake, abandon someone or something. Renounce or give up something valued or pleasant. Hope, a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. Steadfast, resolutely or dutifully firm and unwavering. So with those definitions in mind, let's reread that verse. So those who specifically consider or think of an unsuccessful object of extreme devotion abandon the expectation and desire of unwavering love. Gosh, I think it's important that we really understand what idolatry is in reference to God. The act of idolatry and considering a made thing as powerful lessens your perspective of God's power in your own life. Romans 1, 21 through 23 says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling metal man and birds and animals and creepy, creeping things. So when we reread that Jonah passage in context, idol worshipers are considering a man-made thing, place, or person even more important than the creator of all. Therefore, having determined his purpose is far greater than his, and having declared the things of God as not desirable. Because honestly, anything we put before God is an idol. And God already told y'all how he feels about that. Exodus 23, he says, you shall have no other gods before me. God drew a line in the sand on that from junk. He was like, you should put nothing before me. But we still have idols, don't we? And there's so many we can go over, but I'm just going to go over three of them. Money, people, relationships. The idol of money. The result is that the money you revered ended up creating more problems. You fought to attain so much, you worked countless hours, pushed away all those around you, lost any semblance of family community for the almighty dollar. 
Now you look around wanting to celebrate in a hollow existence. Hebrews 13.5 says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. I like how the King James Version breaks it down with its this and thou's and all that. It says, let your conversation be without covetousness. Oh my goodness, it's a hard word. <laughs> covetousness. Because it's not that money is wrong, it's just that our desire in attaining it can be. That desire spurs your ability to envy. And unattained things that have been coveted can create dissatisfaction with the promises and process of God. And that, dis this, that dissatisfaction can lead you to chasing after the finite instead of the everlasting. Colossians 3.5 says, so put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. The things of this world are finite in their existence. They come and they go. We rise and we fall, but there is only one existence in all of humanity and anything that we understand who's forever, and that's our God, amen? And so we have to get past these earthly things that we've considered so important and really start putting our minds, eye, and our hearts and our desires on God and God alone. And I think it's important to kind of circle back on 13.5 because I think it's important. Because God is assuring you that he is here. Because he says, never will I leave you nor forsake you. He wants you to rest in him. Amen. Yeah. Because he knows how life is difficult. He knows that it won't be easy. But he wants you to remember this one thing. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. We have to take a moment to understand what that means. Never means never means never. So no matter how hard life got, never. No matter how difficult things seemed, never. No matter how far you've gone, never. He's still right there. And for those of us in this place who've kind of attained some success, and you found yourself in a place where it feels like everything and everyone around you just wants something from you. I challenge you with this thought. To find a community that cares not about the status symbols of this world, but cares about the status of your soul. Because the money really ain't everything. The idol of people's opinion. The result is that people's opinions of you lead you to a half-fulfilled life. As we desire the thought and opinions of others, we begin to exist for their praises. Their appreciation becomes the sandy foundation we build our existence on and we lose the ability to know ourselves outside of others' ideas of who we are. And this is something we should put to end.
The end of short-sighted living is the beginning of godly perspective. We can let the other, we can let others' opinions, oh my goodness, we can let the opinion of others become the framework for how we live our life. Yet, if we want to reach the end of ourselves and start living lives complete in Christ, we got to start making new decisions, right? We got to separate ourselves from that which is not of God, because we don't want to be like those who have a form of godliness. 2 Timothy 3.2.5 says, people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. We don't want to have a form of godliness, do we? Because this means that we acknowledge who God is, but make concessions for the things that we want. So we can say stuff like, God understands I have a slick mouth, so he'll forgive me from calling them everything but a child of God. Oh, oh, God understands my needs, so he's going to forgive me for having premarital sex. Oh, yeah, God understands that I have a hard day, so I'm just going to get lost in this bottle. When did God become a carpet you could walk over? When did he stop becoming the king of kings and lord of lords? When did his power stop being omnipotent? We had to get past ourselves and start understanding and acknowledging who he is. Because this word isn't meant to be half-lived. You got to be all in on this thing. And your reality is, don't even pay attention to what other people say about you, how they feel about your Christian walk, what their thoughts and opinions are. Because the only opinion that really matters is one. Because at the end of my life, when I'm standing before him, all I want to hear is, well done, my good and faithful servant. I don't care if you really tell me I did anything else well in this life. You can tell me, oh, Ben, you've done this good, you've done that good. Thank you. Because that doesn't really matter to me because I don't live, I don't walk, I don't exist for your praises. Sorry to say it like that, but that's just my truth. Because all I care about that at the end of this life, I stand before my king and he looks at me and says, well done, my son. Well done, my good and faithful servant. And that is the way we should exist. That's the way we should live. Not for others' opinions but for our father's opinions and his acknowledgement alone. Amen? Amen. Because if we love things more than him, we forfeit his blessings. We need to have the full measure of God in our lives because if we put our hands on the wheel and ask Jesus to put his hand on the wheel, our lives are never going to find a straight path because we're all going to be pulling one direction and he's pulling the other. Let him have full control in your life. Amen? The idol of relationships. The result is your desire to be with someone leads how you live out your day-to-day. From podcasts on how to be a good spouse, from webinars and conferences, how to be the perfect mate, How do I do this for that person? How do I become that for that person? Your life is centered around becoming something for someone else and a lot less about who he called you to be. 
this is something you should end. The end of your corrupted desire is the beginning of true fulfillment in your life. For those that are really, really desiring God, I have a verse for you. James 4, 3. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. <laughs> oh, some of y'all didn't get that one. <laughs> but it's okay. Because reality is some of y'all just want pleasure. Some of y'all really just want pleasure. You've idolized pleasure so much that you, you tried to put that under the covenant of marriage. And God, in his loving power, understands that that idol of pleasure is not sustainable for a marriage. So he won't let you create what you can't sustain. You can't create what you can't sustain. We got to get past our corrupted desires and start determining what God wants in our life. About seven years ago, I started dating my wife. And it's, it's been a blessed existence ever since. I love that girl. Hey, girl. <laughs> and I prayed a solitary prayer before I ever met her. I said, Lord, show me a woman after your own heart. And I asked him to show me because it says that he that findeth a good wife, he that findeth a good wife. Like, so I was like, Lord, show me because I want to find. I want to receive all that it comes with finding a good wife. And, and I was blessed to know her. But what I love most about my wife and for those that know her could say this, my wife has a, my wife has a Bible verse for everything. She might be the most saved person in here outside of Mama Jermaine and Brenda Kelly. I'm not even joking. But my wife has this understanding that she exists by, and I'm not trying to sit here and tell you to revere her or anything. I just want you to understand how we should exist together as husband and wife, is that my wife understands that everything we do in our relationship is not about her. It's always about God. So if I come to her with a problem, she goes, did you pray about it? If I have an issue, she goes, did you go to God about it? Because she could give me an answer, but she realizes her answer is only so finite, but there's an eternal God who's omniscient that she could just point me right to because the reality is marriage, is yes, it's happiness, but it's a whole bunch more holiness. So how we exist together should always point back to him. I heard of this example that it's like a triangle, right? God is in the middle, you're on the sides. So if you keep chasing after him, you will find yourself together. So we have to exist as we, in our relationships and in our marriages for God. Ephesians 5.31 says, As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So we have to seek him in order for our strongest relationships to become one. Amen? And with all that I've been saying and presenting today, I think it's time we get down to brass tacks on how we've reached the end of ourselves and become more like Christ. Point number three as the band comes up, the finish line. Jonah 2.9, but I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise, and I will fulfill all my vows, for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. 
Jonah realized that in that place where he had tried all he could to turn away and do things his way, that he should turn back to God. With a repentant heart, he came back to his father, realizing that he could not move forward or be saved without the Lord. When we look at our lives, what do we see? Can we see lives completely devoted to God? Or do we see lives unfulfilled, disappointed, and let down? Ephesians 4, 22 through 23 says, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes, put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So, so how do we put on a new nature, right? We've got to take on the fruits of the spirit. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. the end of your hate is love. The end of your anxiousness is peace. The end of your anger is patience. The end of your selfishness is kindness. The end of your evil desires is goodness. The end of your dishonesty is faithfulness. The end of your inconsideration is gentleness. The end of your sexual immorality is self-control. What are you willing to end today to be all that God called you to? Because we've run this life this race of life the best we can. And sometimes in trying to reach the end of ourselves and understanding that we've done so much and we haven't, might, might not have achieved all that we wanted to, that we can look at it and be like, I don't even know how to reach the end of myself. Look at all the mess that's before me. How do I even get past that? Lord, how do I, how do I press on through that? And I'm telling you right now, if you have a willing heart to reach the end of yourself, God will be right there with you. In 1992, there was a 400 meter record holder named Derek Rodman. He was at the Barcelona Olympics. And in the semifinals, as he ran, he snapped his hamstring. And he tried to keep on running. And the doctors and the other physical therapists running on the track to try to help him and stop him. But he's like, no, no. But as he was running, he felt another hand and he looked to his left and there his father was. His father had jumped out of the stands and ran on the track and grabbed his son. His son looked at him and said, I have to finish this race. And so as the whole world was watching, father and son finish the race together. Check out this video.
Sometimes dad's got to push everybody else away. I think it's important that we've realized that they reached the finish line together. Because some of us have gotten so caught up in life and the things in front of us that we don't even know how to proceed to the end of ourselves. We wouldn't even know how to start, but God is right there. It says Deuteronomy 31.8. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear our beat is made. So no matter how broken you are, no matter how much life hurts, with a willing heart to reach the end of yourselves, God is right in step. The world is watching as you change and, the long, and no longer appear as a people or a person they knew. The awesome reality is that the finish line of ourselves begins with the finished work God did on the cross. 1 John 2.2 says he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Because of sin, we were destined to end life's race separated from the Father. But Jesus came down and took on all that we deserved and presented an opportunity to us to choose God. So that at the end of our life, we could spend the rest of our life with him. And so the reality for us here is that you can't reach the end of yourself if you don't start anew in Christ Jesus. So today is the day we make a decision to be anew. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Thank you so much for tuning in. To hear more messages like this one, please be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel. And if you like what you heard, please consider sharing with your friends and family to be a blessing to their lives as well. Don't forget to connect with us at our website, thecoolchurch.com. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at We Are Cool Church. And always remember that you were created out of love.